You're listening to Switched On Australia, the podcast that tracks the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. Switched On is brought to you by the publishers of Renew Economy, Australia's best informed, most read website focusing on the green energy transition and is supported by Boundless Earth, using philanthropy, investment and direct advocacy to help Australia become a global force in a decarbonised world. Hello and welcome to the Switched On podcast. I'm Anne Delaney, speaking to you from Aruckwell country, part of the Bundjalung Nation in northern New South Wales. Australia's homes are more often than not energy inefficient. They're leaky, drafty, they lack proper insulation and often use inefficient appliances. To compensate, to just get comfortable, we end up needing extra heating or cooling. And we end up paying for that and these low-performing homes with our high energy bills. But inefficient homes don't just impact on individual householders who have to pay the energy bills. They impact on the grid. If we use more energy, we need a bigger grid. It's estimated that we have some 11 million homes in Australia that need energy upgrades if we're to reach net zero emissions by 2050. The Climate Work Centre has been working on understanding Australia's residential building stock and what it's going to take to get them to a zero carbon standard. It obviously depends on where you live and what you live in, but Climate Work's recent report shows that the majority of our homes, houses, townhouses, and most apartments across all our climate zones can be made climate ready. They've recommended that what we need is a renovation wave across Australia. Jill Armstrong is the Project Impact Manager of the Renovation Pathways Project for Climate Works, and she's my guest today. I started my discussion with Jill by asking her what this renovation wave entails. Yeah, sure. So the renovation wave is an idea that if um, we have bigger uptake, we can set up the supply chains necessary and also upskill the workforce on a bigger scale to do this job that's necessary. We need to get homes to being zero carbon as fast as we can and we know that our current housing stock is a long way from that. So the renovation wave is appealing to the range of different owners in the residential sector. It's quite a fragmented sector so we've got everything from homeowner occupiers, you've got Um, renters and landlords, you've got housing providers, social and community housing, you've got a a wide variety of different kind of motivations in the sector for upgrades. So we're trying to set the landscape for policy to be attractive to the most amount of homeowners to create this wave. And through more uptake, then more people will see and feel the benefits of increased comfort and increase energy performance, and that will have a catalytic event. Um, what, what we're finding is energy efficiency as a topic is not very interesting to people. Um, they might be interested in bill savings, but not particularly energy efficiency as a whole topic. It doesn't go around the dinner table very well. But what is important is the comfort that it would bring. Um, and once people start to feel comfort in neighbours' houses, in a heat wave, or friends, their own children, then you start to say connect energy efficiency with the, the other benefits. It's not just about build savings, it's actually about comfort. So that renovation wave is for people to upgrade energy efficiency, but really it's about upgrading comfort to stay cool in a heat wave and warm in winter. 
You talk about a, a catalytic effect. H how do we kick-start this renovation wave? What, what's it going to take? What we're advocating for is to have some financial incentives and support mechanisms for upgrading the homes that are um, housing the most vulnerable people. They're often in the worst kinds of homes as well. Um, so looking at asset-rich, income-poor households, looking at social housing and community housing. And once we get those houses upgraded, we um, start to really upskill and show the economic benefits to the workforce that's going to do this work of where that work can go, where are the opportunities for that workforce. And, and what do you specifically want from the government? We'd like a range of policies in place um, that would support the most amount of owners. We're asking for um, zero carbon aligned national construction codes so that no further homes are added to the housing stock that are inefficient and not um, energy, um, highly energy performing. We're asking for um, other policies that would encourage um, people to upgrade their homes. Things like um, mandatory disclosure of energy efficiency when mm. you come to sell or lease your home. A little bit like you get on the washing machine sticker, you know what you're buying or you know what you're about to rent. Then you can make um, a more informed choice about your own finance. You can budget for higher or lower energy bills. But also, if you can um, advertise that your home that you're selling or leasing is of a higher standard, then you're going to see the financial benefits from that through the asset valuation. And we'd like mandatory disclosure in place so that the full benefits of having that policy rolls out. How quickly do we need man mandatory disclosure? Because obviously it's been talked about for some time um, and we still haven't quite got there, have we? Yeah, so I, we'd recommend bringing it in as soon as possible. Um, we're aware that time is ticking on um, and the second best time really to do it is, is tomorrow. Mm. So as soon as possible. How quickly can buildings reach net zero emissions if we do adopt this renovation wave? Well, we've got 11 million homes um, to upgrade. We have got um, a number of those homes that are already at the six star level, so homes that have been recently built. But we've got a high proportion of the existing homes that were built prior to 2003, and it's those homes that, will, that are the bigger emitters if you turn your aircon on and your heating on um, for long periods. It's those homes that we can bring up and really uh, change the emissions nationally. We know that houses um, consume around 24% of our electricity. So once we've uh, reduced their demand down, then we're, we can you know, build less renewable energy grid as we transition over away from um, fossil fuel electricity grid. Because that's also what you found or you, you, you concentrate on in the report. It's, uh, the renovations don't only assist individual householders. You've, you looked at how these renovations actually have broader benefits to society. Talk to me a little bit about that because clearly it's going to have an impact on what we need from the grid, isn't it? Once we get homes to shift when they use 
the, elect the majority of their electricity, called, we call it peak demand. So when we can shift peak demand to align to solar generation times, that's going to bring down the peak demand further. It's also going to allow us to build the least cost energy infrastructure to meet that demand because we have to build the infrastructure to meet the highest demand. We can't be having blackouts and brownouts. We need to make sure that we've got the infrastructure ready. But if our lower, if we lower down the peak demand, then the infrastructure size doesn't have to be so big. And that's through doing a combination of thermal and electrification. And there is some definite health benefits to upgrading our homes, aren't there? So yeah, the the, we know that there's some research out there by Sustainability Victoria that looked at upgrading around $3,000 worth of upgrades to vulnerable houses. And on average, they saved a considerable amount of um, additional benefits, saved a lot of money just avoiding going to the doctors, avoiding medication and bills because they were more healthy and more comfortable. So the wider benefits that we've got in here is an acknowledgement of the impact that it can have on health, the positive impacts. Uh, for instance, electrification reduces down the indoor air pollution from a gas cooker or a gas fire, and we know that's got a significant contribution to um, improving the asthma uh, rates in children and vulnerable people. So there's the health benefits as well, not just uh, asthma, but also things like cardio, when homes go above a certain temperature, it has a significant impact on uh, people with cardio um, impairments. So that health benefit um, is, is there and it's clear. You're listening to the Switched On podcast and my guest today is Jill Armstrong from the Climate Work Centre and we're discussing their Renovations Pathways report, which has recently been released. One of the features of the Climate Works report are the three different types of renovation that they've modelled. They've called these the quick fix, the modest renovation and the climate ready renovation. The quick fix obviously is our lightest. It's almost like DIY. The quick fix has some, pop some ceiling in, insulation up there. Um, we also recommend basic gap sealing, so around windows and doors, seal up any old vents, uh, seal off the chimney, um, as long as there's no gas heater in there still. Um, do curtain upgrades, so insulate your windows, roller shutters, um, and also upgrade your heating appliance or heating and cooling appliance to be uh, electric heat pump. And then the modest, the insulation, the ceiling, is, is higher, put some insulation in the floor, improve the air tightness a little bit more um, and look at maybe adding uh, an insulation layer or a film um, tinting to the window system. And then Climate Ready finally improves the wall insulation as well as the ceiling and floor. It also includes double glazing, so taking out um, single glazed metal frame windows and replacing them with um, energy efficient double glazing um, and also introduces something called a electric um, heat recovery system. So when you are heating and cooling your home, when it's uh, venting to the outside, we then take the heat back out and pump it back into the system. But electrification is a feature in all of those bundles. Yeah, so they're the thermal bundles and then we say electrification. So electrification involved um, the hot water heating and also cooking 
So to get, combined with the space conditioning, the heating and cooling, the um, cooker and also the hot water system, those three big appliances make up the vast majority of your bills. So we really focus down on those. And what did you find about the, those different those different bundles, the difference between the quick fix, the modest renovations and the climate ready. Do we all have to move to climate ready as fast as we possibly can? Well, what we're saying is that you do these at the time of your wider renovations. That's the most cost effective way to do renovations. So if you're considering an extension or a, you know, a bigger project, then do put, go to the highest level that you possibly can um, in those but what we're saying is that the, the three levels um, have good benefits, but the best benefits are coming from climate ready. And one of the reasons for that is that you can, you can put different appliances in your home and they will get your, temp your room up to a reasonable temperature. But if you want to do, you know, really substantially lower your emissions and your bills, you need to do more on the thermal envelope. We know that air conditioning, even split, um, split systems, um, right down to basic heaters, only work very well when you've got insulation mm. in your home. So your, your cool and your warmth is not leaking out of your home. You're not having to run it 24-7. When you've got these things combined and you really feel the benefit and, and you get higher comfort levels, you get the lower emissions, bigger bill savings... Um, so I guess it's about choice for people to understand what their options are so that they can upgrade to the most effective level that they can. Mm. Well, what are the cost differentials of those three bundles? Well, they range from something like you know, 10000 up to 40000 And of course, it's very dependent on the size of your home as well. Um, if you've got a very large home, it's going to cost a bit more. So we're suggesting maybe you could just look at an aspect of your home, one or two rooms, and upgrade those. Hey, you call it a, a fabric-first approach to energy upgrades. So basically what you're talking about there is that it's, it's the building, it's not the appliances that needs to, to really be focused on first. Well, we're saying that because to optimise the benefits of energy efficiency, heat pumps for heating and cooling... Uh, and to optimise and get the most out of your solar, it makes sense to do the thermal component. Uh, you also need much smaller appliances to heat and cool your home. But the crucial part is, is that you can actually shift when you're using energy to the time when you're generating energy through rooftop solar. So if, if you're out at work, for instance, and you've got an upgraded thermal shell, you can pre-cool or preheat your home during the times when you're generating solar electricity. And then when you come back from home, the sun goes down, you can knock off that aircon and heating and the home will still keep warm or cool. Mm. What did you find about the cost benefits for the householder of each of those models? Well, we found that it varies according to which climate zone you're in, of course. There's 69 climate zones. Australia is a vast continent with a huge range of of uh, different climates. So we found for the colder state, it was most cost effective to go to the climate ready uh, compared to other states and jurisdictions. So Tasmania, Victoria, um, ACT, and a couple of other uh, strange high altitude climates, even up in Queensland. And um, for those, it was um, cost effective to get to climate ready, um, but perhaps where we've got less heating and cooling periods, 
um, it wasn't as cost effective. All homes were cost effective on average for the modest and the quick fix, but it did depend on your climate zone for the climate ready. Right, oh, that, that is really interesting. And what, what impact does the actual full electrification have when we, when we add it on to a quick fix or a climate ready renovation? Well, when you go the thermal plus the electrification, the biggest savings, especially the emissions that we're trying to reduce nationally, the climate ready was still the clear winner. Um, the emission savings between quick fix and modest are not, not huge, um, but when we go to climate ready, then we're looking at maybe around four kilowatt hours per, um, per dwelling, which is, is quite a lot to save. And how important is rooftop solar in, in these packages? So our rooftop solar varies through the three packages. We have a quick fix, which has the most amount of solar to offset that demand because just doing the quick fix doesn't really reduce your energy demand. Um, then we've got modest, which we're calling medium uh, solar rooftop. And then the smallest amount of roof area required is with the climate ready. And of course, that then lends you some additional roof space if you then want to have a, an EV charging facility and um, you want to generate electricity for your vehicle as well. I find that really interesting. It's a little bit counterintuitive for me that the, the quick fixes need the, the higher amounts of solar as opposed to the climate ready because I would have thought that the climate ready needed more solar because they're going to have an EV, aren't they? Well, when we haven't included the EV, but if they do want to have that, then they've got some space for that. Yeah, the reason that the, the solar that we've calculated is actually to offset the demand. So once mm. you reduce down the amount of energy that you're using, then you can have a much smaller solar system or less requirement. Because also, not every home can have solar. We've got quite a high number of homes that um, are in a heritage area or they're overshadowed, or the roof's very complicated and it just doesn't have that northern aspect to, to fit solar to it. The climate-ready upgrade actually speaks to a lot of homes that can't accept solar in the first place. If the maximum cost of these upgrades is around 40000 as you, you're suggesting, I mean, it's clearly much more sensible to renovate and improve a building's energy performance than it is to demolish and rebuild homes that have poor energy efficiency. Yeah, and we're talking about 11 million homes here. It's not going to be feasible to demolish all 11 million homes. Um, so we would save a lot of carbon embodied energy if we upgrade what we've already got. Our report doesn't expect you know, passive house standards or, or anything that's unrealistic. It actually is what's practical and reasonable to get homes to up to around a six star, we call them Nathur stars, around six Nathur stars for existing homes. Mm. Can you compare the degree to which the thermal upgrades reduce emissions compared to, say, the electrification? So it varies, of course, through different homes in different uh, states and territories. But if we, say, look at um, Victorian data, then we've got an average house with energy savings of around 14.3 uh, kilowatt hours per dwelling for just the thermal upgrades compared to around 3.7 kilowatt hours per dwelling for the appliances. 
So you can see there it's almost three times or it is three times greater um, the savings for just the thermal component. Um, it's a little bit different for the colder temperatures like Northern Territories and Queensland who, who don't have that heating requirement, that heating season. Um, but certainly um, places like ACT, Victoria, Tasmania and New South Wales and SA to a certain extent, it's, um, it's much more beneficial to upgrade your home, the thermal component first. Do we convince people that they need to renovate? Because there, there can be you know, financial incentives, as you suggested, primarily for vulnerable people. But a lot of people are still balking at the cost of certainly uh, new electric appliances and also p perhaps not yet seeing the value of these thermal upgrades that, that you've identified. How do we get householders to, to make decisions about their energy use that goes in this direction? I think the first is to get them interested in the fact that you can upgrade homes and you can reduce your bills down with some really simple um, upgrade techniques. You know, gap sealing is, is a no-brainer. It's cheap to do, you can almost do it yourself. Putting up curtains um, is, is another. So once you start to get them into the mindset that energy efficiency is in their interest and it has these wider benefits, the health benefits, the comfort benefits, then I think it will kind of snowball. So the, the gateway for me is um, really gap sealing and insulating homes and then they will, should start to see their bills coming down because they won't have to turn on the heating or the air con quite so much. And unfortunately, this summer is predicted to be very high um, and you know, we always say, oh, we need to upgrade homes. But once that summer hits and we've got people um, in homes um, that do don't have the disposable income to spend on the high energy bills that we're seeing at the moment through that energy price hike, then that's, I think, where those discussions are going to happen. What can we do to our home to reduce our bills and stay comfortable? Mm. Are you confident that our existing homes, that all 11 million of them, can become zero carbon in a cost-effective way using current technology? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if we just look at quick fix, that gets us to zero carbon when you add in electrification and, and solar. These aren't different technologies. They're actually really simple technologies, and the building physics is quite simple. So insulating um, and improving your air tightness it's a proven, proven method of doing this. I mean, we've, we even had insulation in buildings in the medieval time. We used to use horsehair. And now we've got a lot of products on the market that are much more easier to get. We don't have to go around farmyards. We can just buy it at Bunnings. It's a quilt. We roll it out. So it's around basic technologies, tried and tested, very mature and available. And it's around getting those products in our homes. Alrighty, Jill Armstrong, thanks so much for joining the Switched On podcast today. You're welcome. Thanks, Anne. And Jill Armstrong is a researcher in architecture and urban planning for the Climate Work Centre. That's a wrap for this week's Switched On podcast. Next week, it'll be our last podcast for the year, and we're off to Lord Howe Island 
where the local community has gone from a 100% diesel-guzzling microgrid to 70% renewable generation in less than five years. And they reckon they can get to 100% renewables pretty soon. It'll be a good news story to end the year on. I'm Anne Delaney. See you then. Listener.